Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. This weekend at Walters, Bottomless Brunch begins at 11 a.m. on both Saturday and Sunday. Enjoy Bottomless Mimosas, Bloody Marys, Truly, and Bud Light for only $20 with your purchase of a brunch entree. Be it beer, burgers, bourbon, or baseball, we encourage you to walk on over to Walters. With plenty of room indoors or outside on the covered patio, contact Brett at waltersdc.com to reserve your space today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the pitch. Swing it's lofted in the air to left. Drifting back on this one. Yelich to the warning track to the wall. And this game is tied. It's gone. Yadiel Hernandez, an opposite field home run. Home run number six for Hernandez. And the Nationals answer back with a game-tying run. Three balls, two strikes. Garrett kicks. He delivers. Swing and a long drive. Center field. Way back. Going, going. Gone. Goodbye. It's a grand slam for Christian Yelich. A 454-foot blast for his second home run of the game and eighth of the year. He has driven in six runs in this game. And he has broken it wide, wide open. It's now the Brewers' nine and the Nationals' four. Hater to the belt. It'll be a 2-2 to Adrian Sanchez, the pinch hitter. And it swung on and missed. Struck him out with the elevated fastball up and away. And the game is over. Hater and the Brewers hold on. The Nationals certainly made them work for it in the ninth inning. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, August 22nd, 2021. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off. Tim Shovers is working, but not available until later. And so it is you, it is me. As I tape this right now, it is Saturday night. I am at the end of a day in which uh, we at our house had a dual birthday party for my son, who on Monday will turn four, and my daughter, who on Friday Turn one. I was up until 6 a.m. on Friday nights last Saturday morning doing this podcast and then my own podcast. So if I sound even more incoherent than usual, you know why. I have my excuse. But anyway, it is nice to be with you, as is always the case. And if you're like me and you watched that Nats game on Saturday, well, at least know that you did not suffer alone. A 9-6 loss at the National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers in game two of a three-game series. We'll get to the specifics momentarily, but four hours, 18 minutes. The game took four hours, 18 minutes. A nine-inning baseball game in 2021 took four hours, 
18 minutes. And of course, the thing is, this is not new. This happens. I mean, I don't want to say that it happens often, but this happens. And that to me is inexcusable. A four-hour, 18-minute, nine-inning baseball game. That is so bad for the sport of baseball. Nobody in 2021 has the time or the desire to watch a baseball game that lasts for four hours, 18 minutes. And I say this as someone who loves baseball, and I know that all of you listening love baseball, or at the very least, love the Nats. But, you know, this idea of like, well, this is the beauty of baseball. There is no clock. No, that's not the beauty of baseball, okay? This is the problem with baseball, especially right now. The games are too long. People love to talk about how, you know, the ball being in play, not enough is the problem. Or, you know, the abundance of plate appearances that end in what are the three true outcomes? Home run, walk, strikeout. That's the problem. To me, those things don't matter nearly as much as just the lengths of games. If these games were shorter, I don't think people would care all that much about the ball not being in play all that much or the uh, three true outcomes being all over the place. If the games were on average two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes, you wouldn't be caught up in the ball not being in play enough. The games are too long. It's as simple as that. Okay, there's too much time between pitches. You have relievers who aren't good and don't throw strikes. And because so many teams are so bullpen reliant, you see these relievers all the time. The Nats and Brewers on Saturday combined to use 13 pitchers, 13, and it felt like all of them weren't good. Like, (laughs) it felt like all of them couldn't get the job done. Brewers are a big analytics team. You know me, I love analytics, talk about them all the time, a big believer in them. But I am the first to admit that analytics in many ways are not good for the aesthetics of the game. And this game on Saturday between the Nats and Brewers was an example of that. And this is something that baseball, at some point, instead of talking about trying to fix, needs to actually fix, okay? And I don't know that it'll ever happen, but I didn't want to just sit here and not make mention of this game taking four hours, 18 minutes. Anyway, to the game. There were some very good performances by potential building blocks for the Nats. And I want to focus on those because they matter much more than the outcome of this game. We've talked about that. This portion of the Nats season, this is not about wins and losses. This is about the who behind the what. The season is no longer about the what. The season now is about the who. The Nats fall to 53 and 69 on the season with this loss, which, oh, by the way, did end the Nationals' three-game winning streak. But can we talk about Lane Thomas? I don't know that any Nationals player was more impressive on Saturday then Lane Thomas. And the Nationals back in front by two. It's Washington three and Milwaukee one. Thomas scoring all the way from first base. Lane Thomas is the guy who the Nats got from the St. Louis Cardinals for John Lester, right? The Nats on July 30th actually trading Lester to the cards for Thomas as Mike Rizzo and maybe the ultimate example of him being the ninja general manager that I have called him to be for years. Got a team to give up something for John Lester and his 5.02 ERA. And I got a kick out of some of the people who at the time of the trade said, yeah, but Lane Thomas is a depreciated prospect. Who cares? If the Nats got back a bag of balls for John Lester, that was a win. And said the Nats got back a guy, Lane Thomas, whose stock, yes, had gone down, but a guy also who has talent. And we are seeing that talent when this guy plays. So first of all, very interestingly, David Martinez had Lane Thomas as the Nats starting center fielder and number one batter on Saturday, right? Very notable to see Thomas in Victor Robles' position and spot in the batting order on Saturday. And boy, did Lane Thomas deliver. He reached base four times, went two for three with a double, a single, and two walks. And he had a great outfield assist. Harper ready, here it is. 
Curveball hit in the air to center field and deep. Lane Thomas has a play, though, drifting back, shy of the track. He'll make the catch. Tagging at first, trying to go to second is Arias. The throw in is there in plenty of time. Escobar tags him out, and it was not close. What a throw by Lane Thomas. He made the catch shy of the warning track. So Thomas had a leadoff opposite field double to the right center field gap, and that adds two run first. Thomas had a leadoff six-pitch walk in the top of the third. Thomas had a one-out single, and the Nats one run fifth. Thomas drew a leadoff eight-pitch walk, and the Nats two run ninth. And Thomas had a great defensive play for a double play for the first two outs in the bottom of the six. He caught a deep fly ball off the bat of Jace Peterson and then threw out Luis Urias at second base in his attempt to tag up from first base. And how about that throw, huh? I mean, that was some rocket from the arm of Lane Thomas. The throw was tremendous. No bounce essentially right on target, and Arias was out by a mile. I mean, that wasn't even close. Uh, And that was a play that made sense from a base running standpoint. That was a deep fly ball. You figured Arias had at least a decent shot to tag up at second base, was going to take a near-perfect throw, and that's essentially what Lane Thomas delivered. Remember, too, Lane Thomas was a Nat starter on Friday night in that 4-1 win at the Brewers. He was a Nat starting left fielder in that game, was a number six batter for the Nats in that game, and he delivered in that game. Uh, He had himself two hits in that game, including a big two-run triple, a two-out, two-run opposite field triple to right field in the top of the fourth. He also had a one-out full count single in the top of the eighth. It is an ultra-small sample size with Lane Thomas. Maybe this guy's never heard from again after what he did on Saturday, but 15 plate appearances for the Nats so far, six hits and four walks. And even if Lane Thomas is never anything more than a fourth or even fifth outfielder for the Nats, there's value in that. And that you got that for John Lester and his 502 ERA Really is something. So you go Lane Thomas. A tremendous job by him on Saturday. Another young potential building block for the Nats who shined on Saturday, Tress Barrera. So, of course, we have been seeing a lot of another young potential building block for the Nats at catcher recently in Riley Adams, who himself has been doing really well. Uh, Part of the reason we've seen a lot of Riley Adams is that he has been doing so well. And Tress Barrera, off initially actually looking pretty good, had kind of cooled off here. Well, it was Barrera's turn on Saturday to stand out. He was the Nats' starting catcher at number seven batter in this 9-6 loss at the Brewers. He reached base three times, two for four with two singles and a walk. And I want you to listen to the specifics of his plate appearances because you talk about battling. Tress Barrera battled in the batter's box on Saturday. So his first hit of the game, a two-out single in the bottom of the fourth. That single came despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. The single concluded a 12-pitch plate appearance. Barrera's second hit of the game, a full count single in the top of the sixth. That hit came despite him having been down in that count at 1.02. That single concluded an eight-pitch plate appearance. And then time number three for Tress Barrera reaching base on Saturday, a two-out, bases-loaded, seven-pitch walk off Brewers closer Josh Hader in what ended up being a two-run Nationals ninth inning. That walk cut the Nats' deficit to 9-6. Here's the set now. And the pitch. High and away. Outside ball four. Barrera walks with the bases loaded to drive in his eighth run of the year in the big leagues. Those are three, like, wars that Tress Barrera waged in the batter's box. A 12-pitch plate appearance in which he goes from being down 1-2 at one point to authoring a two-out single. An eight-pitch plate appearance in which he goes from being down at 1.02 to authoring a full-count single. 
And then facing one of the more intimidating pitchers in the majors, right? The Brewers closer, Josh Hader, Darth Hader, the flamethrower, and Barrera is able to work a bases-loaded seven-pitch walk to cut the Nats' deficit to three. Really good job offensively by Tress Barrera on Saturday. And I say it that way because Tress did have a defensive boo-boo in the game. He committed a catcher's interference error that began the Brewers' five-run eighth. We'll get to that in just a bit. I don't know, is it me or are we seeing a lot of catcher's interference errors here recently? I feel like we are. I'm not sure why that is exactly, but Barrera did have one there in that Brewers' five-run eighth inning. But otherwise, really good game for Tress Barrera. I thought we saw some more good things from Carter Keboom on Saturday. He was, again, the Nats starting third baseman, was batting in the number five spot. He got on base two times, one for four with an RBI single and a walk. He had a one-out four-pitch walk in the top of the first, and he had a one-out opposite field bases loaded RBI single to right field off Hader in that Nats two-run ninth to cut the Nats deficit to 9-5. And when we talk about, you know, potential building blocks and how they do down the stretch of the season, there's also something to be said for these, like, experiences that you accumulate, right? And this was an experience for Carter Keeboom. Like, no, this was not Game 7 of the World Series, but this was a bases-loaded situation in the top of the ninth inning against one of the more, again, intimidating pitchers in the majors in Josh Hader. That's now an experience that Carter Keeboom has had, and it's an experience in which he won. Carter Keeboom won the battle. RBI single off Hader. Now the pitch. Swinging a line drive to right, coming over. Peterson can't get it, drops in for a hit. One run will score. And that's something that hopefully, you know, Keyboom can file away. And the next time he's in a spot like that or similar to that, comparable to that, he can draw from that experience, you know, and he can understand, hey, I can do this. I can hit against someone like a Josh Hader. Now, look, Hader at times in his outing didn't look like he was uh, on at all, you know. So, I mean, maybe Hader just was off for the most part in that ninth inning, although initially to me didn't look that off. But whatever the case may be, that's an experience for Carter Keeboom, the likes of which I think he can draw from in the future. So I really like seeing that from him. So yes, young potential building blocks for the Nationals did deliver again in this game on Saturday. And that's what matters more than anything, including the outcome. Nats Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games, You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Hey, Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. 
with promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Yordi Barley, and many more. The time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National stars today. Visit FredNats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Clovis at sets, pitch to Nevaez, swinging a ground ball, hits the pitcher in the foot, or did it, it deflects into center field for a hit. Rounding third, coming in to score is Yelich, and the Brewers take the lead. Escobar with his 73rd run batted into the year, and this has been a nightmarish bottom of the fifth inning for the Nationals defensively and with their bullpen. So the Nats did lose this game. The Nats, in fact, blew a 3-1 fifth inning lead in this game, and the culprit was a Nats bullpen that I thought lately had been pretty good, all things considered. I mean, it's all relative. I get that. The problem is that the Nats, in almost always using at least, like, I don't know, three relievers in a game, are subjecting themselves to the reality that on any given day slash night, not every reliever you use is going to have it. Basically, it's a, it's a matter of odds. You know, it's like, all right, if you dip into something and you have to keep drawing from that something, one guy, two guys, three guys, four guys, what are the odds that all four are just on in that given game? Like, probably not that high. And so you're seeing this here where, like, in these bullpen outings, the majority of the guys may look good, but one or two don't, and that's enough to harm you. And sure enough, multiple Nats relievers did not have it in this game on Saturday. Ultimately, David Martinez utilized five Nats relievers in this game. The five relievers combined to allow six runs, five earned in three and two-thirds innings. Gabe Klobositz was the first man called upon. He came into the game bottom of the fifth with runners at the corners, one out, and the Nats nursing a 3-1 lead, and something inexcusable happened in this inning. So he gave up a one-out RBI single to the first battery face, Christian Yelich. Klobositz then allowed another inherited runner to score on an Omar Narvaez pop-out to Ryan Zimmerman in foul territory. What ended up being something you almost never see, an RBI sacrifice fly on a pop-out in foul territory in front of a dugout. Now the set and Clovis, it's pitch, swung on and popped up. Right side foul ground, Zimmerman racing in under it and makes the grab. And no one's covering the plate, runner breaks for the plate, Zimmerman dives, safe. Oh my. This was amateur hour defensively by the Nationals. The reason that this ended up being a sack fly is that no Nat 
covered home plate. Zimmerman catches the pop out near a dugout and then has to run himself to home plate. So he catches the baseball. He kind of pauses for a second, recognizing that Colton Wong, who had been on third base and astutely noticed nobody was covering home plate, had taken off for home plate. Zimmerman says to himself, oh gosh, I better start hustling. He hustles and he doesn't get there in time. And that defensive screw up was really embarrassing. Like that's the kind of thing that bad teams do. And the Nats are a bad team this year. And that just is one of those things where you're like, you know, the Nats have been losing a lot, but for the most part, they've lost like with dignity, I would say this season, certainly lately, certainly since the sell-off, that was a play without dignity, a play without honor for the Nationals. And I guess over the course of a season, you're going to have those, right? But that was a big time screw up. Somebody needed to cover home plate, whether it was Klobositz or Tres Barrera or Carter Keboom, somebody needed to cover home. Now, it was a weird play because Tres Barrera got up from behind the plate to try to feel the pop out. And in getting up to try to feel the pop out, he actually ran into the batter, Omar Narvaez. So I don't know if that weirded things out to where whoever was supposed to cover home plate didn't. But the thing is, sometimes you have to do something that's called being a baseball player. So even if it's not your responsibility to cover home, recognize that nobody's covering home and cover home. Like to me, Carter Keboom should have covered home and he didn't. Nobody did. And you ended up having a run score there. Klobositz then gave up a two-out RBI single to Eduardo Escobar for a 4-3 Brewers lead. We got to get somebody back. You know, once they see Zim, you know, going to catch the ball. So that was the first problem area for the Nats bullpen on Saturday. Gabe Klobositz, the adventures of Klobo, and uh, especially that defensive screw-up, which certainly was not all on Gabe Klobositz. Ryan Harper then pitched, and he actually tossed a scoreless bottom of the six. He faced two batters in the bottom of the seven, struck out Willie Adamas to begin things, did then issue a hit-by-pitch to Colton Wong. Andres Machado then came into the game, faced four batters in the bottom of the six, did get the final two outs, although not before loading the bases via a two-out hit-by-pitch of Omar Narvaez on a one-two pitch, followed by a two-out six-pitch walk of Eduardo Escobar. You can see why this game lasted for four hours, 18 minutes. A lot of hit-by-pitches, a lot of walks, a lot of deep counts, those types of things. Then came Javi Guerra. Javi Guerra was a complete mess in what ended up being a five-run Brewers eighth inning. This really ended up being one of the worst outings a Nats reliever has had this season. So the inning began with that Tres Pereira catcher's interference error with Luis Arias batting. Okay, fine. But then came a bunch of problems. Guerra giving up a single to Jace Peterson on a one-two pitch. Guerra issuing a hit-by-pitch of Jackie Bradley Jr. to load the bases with no outs. Guerra then gets an out, but then gives up a one-out, bases loaded, guess what? Hit-by-pitch to Colton Wong. Guerra then gave up a one-out, full-count, grand slam to Kristen Yelich on an absolute bomb to right center field for a 9-4 Brewers lead. That was the blow. If you were watching the game, you had a sense something like that might be coming, you know? I think we've learned enough about this Nats team at this point to know that bad things can be coming. Like you develop a sense almost when you watch a team throughout a season of when gloom and doom is legit and when the bottom is about to fall out. And in watching this inning, it sure felt like the bottom was going to fall out. And boy, did it ever. That was some shot by Kristen Yelich, who has not had a great season when it comes to hitting for power, but he's having his way in this series. That's for sure. The homer came on the ninth pitch of a plate appearance in which Guerra had Yelich down at one point, one, two. 
and the Grand Slam was indeed grand. This was a Grand Slam in every sense of the phrase, a monster blast that went and projected 454 feet per stat cast. That was a moonshot off the bat of Kristen Yelich. Guerra gets yanked by Davey. Jeffrey Rodriguez comes into the game, and uh, he ends up facing three batters, mercifully gets the final two outs. But a bad outing for Gabe Klobositz and a really terrible outing for Javi Guerra. And uh, the Nats are unable to come back from being down 9-4. Do trim the deficit to 9-6. But that's how the game ended. The Nats starting pitcher for the game was Paolo Espino. I actually thought that Paolo, our guy, a.k.a. the secret weapon, uh, was better than his final line indicated. But he still won very good. So Paolo in this game officially allows three runs in four into third innings. If he watched the game, though, Paolo really wasn't that bad. He only gave up five hits, a solo homer, and four singles. He had six strikeouts versus one walk, and he threw 54 strikes versus 25 balls on 79 pitches. So he had a better than two-to-one ratio in terms of strikes versus balls. I thought Paolo actually did a pretty good job. Two of the three runs charged to him were inherited runners allowed to score with Gabe Klobisitz pitching. Now, again, ultimately, that's on Paolo, and he only lasted for four and a third innings, but I think it's important to you know, kind of look beyond just the box score here. He gave up a run in the bottom of the first on a one-out first pitch solo homer by Christian Yelich uh, on another bomb by Yelich in this game uh, to right center. The homer going a projected 414 feet per stat cast. Paolo, though, then tossed a perfect bottom of the second. He then tossed a scoreless bottom of the third despite giving up a couple of singles. Paolo then struck out the side in a perfect bottom of the fourth, but Paolo in that bottom of the fifth gets charged with the two runs, both of which scored with Klobisitz pitching. Uh, Paolo in that inning did strike out Jackie Bradley Jr. to begin things, but then issued a one-out nine-pitch walk of pinch hitter Lorenzo Kane. There it is, another plate appearance that lasts a while. And then a one-out single by Colton Wong before being pulled from the game. And so, you know, here we are with Paolo, and I brought this up after the last time he pitched, and it really is something how his season lines up with the national season. Paolo Espino was doing so well through the month of June. In fact, he ended his month of June with that great spot start, that 8-4 win over the Mets at Nationals Park on June 28th. Paolo in that game, five scoreless innings. He came out of that game with an ERA of 202, a whip of 0.87 and 35 and two-thirds innings on the season. That was peak Paolo. The peak of Paolo was that spot start against the Mets at Nats Park on June 28th. But since then, Paolo's season has uh, dipped down quite a bit, just like the Nats season since the end of June slash start of July has fallen off. And Paolo, since that spot start against the Mets over 10 games now, including nine starts, has an ERA of 630, 28 earned runs in 40 innings. So the secret weapon has not been so secret and has not been much of a weapon here uh, over the last few months. But again, I thought he actually didn't pitch that poorly in this game on Saturday. Uh, Some other thoughts from the game. So Juan Soto, oh, by the way, got on base four more times on Saturday. I, I feel like we're taking this for granted a little bit. We shouldn't. He had two singles and two walks. He had a first pitch RBI single up the middle and that adds two run first, although he later in the inning did get picked off at second base for the second out. He had a one out intentional walk top of the fifth, had a one out full count single top of the seventh, four pitch walk in that Nats two run ninth inning. Juan Soto, as we speak here, has an on base percentage on the season of four. 49, which is just tremendous. You know, we've said it many times. He's having a great season, even though it doesn't always feel that way. He's having a 300, 400, 500 season, but four more plate appearances on Saturday for Soto, resulting in him getting on base. A 449 on base percentage is absurd 
And yet that's what Soto has on the year. Yadiel Hernandez homered on Saturday. He was an at starting left fielder and number six batter. One for four, but the one was a solo homer, a leadoff game tying opposite field homer to left field in the top of the six to tie the game at four. The homer going a projected 384 feet per stat cast. Yadiel now on the season in 816 OPS. He's did a nice job as a batter. And this was a game on Saturday in which Alcides Escobar did some good things. Lauer sets. Thomas the lead from first. Lauer kicks and delivers home. The pitch swung on. Line to left toward the line. And down and into the corner it rolls. Thomas heading for third being waved home by Bobby Henley. The throw comes in to the shortstop Arias who will hold it as Thomas scores. On a double toward the left field corner for Alcides Escobar. He, again, uh, was the Nats' number two batter in this game, starting shortstop two for four, had an RBI double, a single, and a hit-by-pitch. So he got on base three times in this game, a hit-by-pitch in the Nats' two-run first, a one-out RBI double in the top of the fifth for a 3-1 Nats lead, and he had a single on an 0-2 pitch in the Nats' two-run ninth. I've talked about this. Osidis Escobar is the king of, like, the dirty hit. His hits aren't always pretty. You know, he gets a lot of, like, bunt hits, opposite field hits, hits that aren't exactly smoked. He takes trash counts and turns them into successful plate appearances. He'll be down 0-2, 1-2, and he'll be able to work the count in his favor, or he'll just be able to author a hit even with the count not in his favor. Like I said, he had a single on an 0-2 pitch in the Nats' two-run ninth inning. So I give all CDs a lot of credit for the job he's done. Now, I still look at him and say to myself, okay, unless you plan on having him back next season, and maybe the Nats do, I don't know that him getting plate appearances as your number two batter makes a lot of sense here, especially considering his numbers have come down. I mean, for a while, it was kind of a cute, fun thing. I would note it how high Alcides on base percentage was with the Nats. The on base is only at 327 now on the year with the Nats. So, you know, it's come down. He's batting 265. He's got a 327 on base. He's only slugging 358. But we give credit where credit's due on the Nats Chat Podcast. Alcides Escobar got on base three times on Saturday. So game three at the Brewers for the Nats Sunday afternoon at 2-10. Sean Nolan versus Adrian Hauser. Hauser's having a pretty good year. 21 games, including 19 starts, has an ERA of 355. I have no idea what to expect from Sean Nolan. I would say, though, don't have your expectations sky high. This will only be Nolan's second appearance for the Nats. They selected his contract from AAA Rochester on August 11th. Sunday is August 22nd. And this is only going to be Nolan's second appearance here for the Nats. They have made it a point not to use him, even though he's been on the team for a few weeks now. The only outing he's had for the Nats was a start in a 4-1, seven-inning loss at the Mets in game one of a doubleheader on August 12th. That start for Nolan marked his first appearance in a major league regular season game since October 2015. He allowed four runs in three innings on eight hits, which were a homer and seven singles. This is another 30-something player who the Nats have summoned from AAA Rochester this season. The list of 30-somethings called up by the Nats from AAA this year, it is a list that is like a mile long. It's incredible. It's one of the real indictments of the Nats farm system. I know that many teams have 30-somethings in those teams as farm systems, but it feels like the Nats have more than most teams, and it certainly feels like the Nats have called up many more 30-somethings than most teams do over the course of a year. But, you know, your 30-somethings from AAA Rochester this year, Sean Nolan, Yadiel Hernandez, Gerardo Parra, Adrian Sanchez, Ryan Harper, Javi Guerra, Justin Miller, Kyle Lobstein, on and on we can go. Uh, It's been that kind of year for the Nats uh, with the state of the farm system. We'll see what Sean Nolan 
ends up doing on Sunday. It still is interesting to me that Eric Fetty could be starting on Sunday, but isn't. And I talked about this with Mark on the last installment of the Nats Chat podcast. Maybe this is a nothing deal, but I just find it curious. Why are you giving a start to Sean Nolan when you don't have to? Why wouldn't you give that start to Eric Fetty? Is there something going on with Fetty? Is he hurting in some way? I don't know, but I think it's worth asking that question uh, given that you didn't have to do this. You don't have to be starting Sean Nolan on Sunday. Nats do have an off day on Monday before a three-game series at the Miami Marlins Tuesday night through Thursday night. You can always email us at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Email from Chip Lazenby. He says, I 100% supported the sell-off and then some. It no doubt makes the end of this season more interesting, not less. Having said that, I very much agree with the perspective Mark has voiced recently, that while no one is expecting to win the division, nonstop constant losing can be infectious and problematic, and it can especially demoralize young talent. If you create that culture, it's not as easy as it sounds to just turn it around with new young talent slash get a better draft pick. At the end of the day, winning and losing still matter, even while keeping the bigger reboot picture in mind. Thank you for the email, first of all, Chip. I think there is truth to that, right? I think culture does matter, but I'd say a few things. Number one, the Nats have had a winning culture for years. So if you spend the final two months of this season not really being all that invested in wins and losses, I don't think that that's that bad. Even if you play out next season as not being all that invested in wins and losses, I don't think that that is that bad. There can still be an overall culture of we are about winning. We're building this thing back up. We do demand that you play the game a certain way, the right way. Like it doesn't have to be an either or proposition. Now, I don't think the Nats are going to approach next season as a tanking season. I, I just don't get that sense at all. So especially if it's just about the rest of this season not being about wins and losses, I really don't think that that is that big of a deal. The other thing, though, too, that I would say is this. While baseball is a team sport, it's kind of like the most individual of the team sports. I mean, teamwork matters in every sport, right? But teamwork matters more, say, in football, basketball, and hockey than it does in baseball, especially when you're talking about offense in baseball. Like what you do as a batter in baseball, for the most part, is on you. You know, now now look, can your teammates help you out? Yes. Can your teammates encourage you? Sure. Can it matter who you have batting around you in a lineup? Sometimes, yes. But by and large, if you're great, you can do great, even if you're on a bad team, right? I mean, always remember the greatest season that any Nationals player has ever had, certainly from a position playing standpoint, was Bryce Harper's 2015. The Nats did make the playoffs that year, okay? Like, it's not always about your teammates. It can just be about you. Mike Trout is having maybe the greatest career that any baseball player has ever had. He has been on a bunch of bad and losing teams with the Angels. His teammates have had very little to do in terms of impacting him and not causing him to be great. So my point is, if you're a professional and you're very good at what you do, you should be able to do well. And, you know, if the team isn't all in on winning for the moment— that shouldn't derail you. Like to me, it doesn't speak well of you if you get thrown off entirely by the fact that your team is trying to take a bigger picture view of things as opposed to being all in on that day to win that game when doing so is pretty foolish given the circumstance. But I think generally speaking, there is something to what you're saying. You don't want to create a losing culture. And I don't think the Nats have. I don't think they have that. And I think it would take a lot for the Nats to have that. The Nats since the start of the 2012 season 
have been one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. That is not undone by, again, just the final two months of this season not being about wins and losses. Keep the feedback coming. You can email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet the podcast as well, at Nats underscore chat. On Sunday, a reminder, we are on the radio, the radio version of the Nats Chat Podcast. We air on Sunday mornings at 9 on 1061 ESPN in Richmond. If you're in the Richmond area, please give the show a listen. If you're not in the Richmond area, you can still listen by going to ESPNRichmond.com. The Nats Chat Podcast radio show, Sunday mornings at 9 on 1061 ESPN Richmond. A reminder, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider doing so. Also, if you haven't yet, give the podcast a five-star rating and written, you know, just like a one-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast. Please consider doing those things. They do help us out a lot. And we do thank all of you who have done those things already. Get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt, as so many of you have. You can get one by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. And always know, If you wear your Nats Chat Pod t-shirt out in public, be it at Nationals Park or somewhere else, take a photo of yourself with the t-shirt, tweet it to us, at Nats underscore chat, and we'll retweet it. You know, we'll make a big thing out of it because we appreciate people promoting the pod. Soldiers of the Nats Chat Podcast are always appreciated. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Uh, Mark will be back with me on the next installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. In the meantime, we will leave you with another terrific voice memo regarding memories and tales of October 2019. Uh, Lisa Masters in Los Angeles emailed us this. You can do this as well if you want to share with us uh, your experiences from the Nationals World Series run in 2019. Record yourself telling the tale uh, in your smartphone, and then you can email the file to us again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Hey there, Mark and Al. First of all, uh, thank you guys for continuing to put out such a great and consistent podcast. You have helped me uh, rationalize everything that's happened during this difficult time of being a Nats fan. Um, but on a brighter note, I wanted to share about my 2019 postseason memories, and I hope you'll enjoy them. I grew up in the D.C. area, but have been living in the L.A. area since 2013. And I was going to school out here in L.A. from 2009 to 2013. So during that time, I would come home every summer and catch as many games as I could. And uh, when the Nets started winning during my college years, I told my family, If and when the Nats get all the way to the World Series, I'm dropping everything and we'll fly home for a game. I was banking on doing that when it happened, and I finally got to follow through on that in 2019, uh, which at that point I was working a corporate job and well out of school. So it took some quick planning. My dad had an extra ticket to Game 4, and he was very kind to allow me to utilize that ticket and uh, attend the game with him, which was pretty special. Um, game four was on Saturday, October 26th. So I booked a red eye flight for that Friday night. I landed Saturday morning, went to the game Saturday night and flew back to LA on Sunday without missing (laughs) even an hour of work. So as we all know, that game was a total bust, uh, but it was so exciting to be in my hometown and witnessing all of that excitement. 
I was pretty much holding back tears when I got off the metro and I saw people, you know, dancing and playing instruments in the street. It's just this moment that you could tell everyone is, was really had been waiting a long time for. Um, but where the real memory kicks in is when I was flying back from L- back to L.A. on Sunday. I had a connection in Dallas, of all places. So I walk onto the plane in full Nats gear and find my seat. And I find out that my seat neighbor is a man dressed in full Astros gear. And he was holding a scorecard from Saturday's game and reading the, the little magazine from the game that was handed out at the park. Um, so he was a he was a pretty uh, tried and true fan. He wasn't messing around. And even though the series was tied at this point, the Astros certainly felt uh, and seemed to have more momentum at this point. And uh, so I took my seat next to this guy for the next four hours. Uh, he was polite. I was polite. But he was 100% confident that his mighty team would be beating the underdogs at, at this point. And I had to play along to try and make it hurt a little less <laughs> on my heart. And I landed and watched game five from my apartment in complete misery, thinking how happy my mysterious seatmate must have been, my, my unnamed seatmate must have been. And... uh well, you know, after that, we all know what happened and we all know how the story ends. And I don't want to be a bad sport, but I regularly think about that guy and wish I could have seen his reaction to the scrappy Nats taking it all in Houston because obviously that was just awesome. But as for my very favorite moment of the 2019 playoffs, uh, that's an easy one for me. It's the Howie Kendrick Grand Slam in L.A., I was honestly more worried about playing the Dodgers than I was the Astros because we have a known track record against the Dodgers and it's not a great one. But being in the LA area and having plenty of friends that are Dodger fans, that Grand Slam was just, I was just elated. I was screaming at the top of my lungs and it was incredible. Um, So thanks guys for tossing out this idea of sharing these memories. Uh, Doing so hopefully can... Keep the hope alive to do it another time. Thanks, guys. Do you believe it? I believe it because I saw it, Dave Jagler, sail over the wall to the 396 marker just to the right. And Kendrick, who'd had a tough series, robbed of some good chances for hits. Some other chances didn't come through. He had made three errors in the field, no doubt, not thinking about it then. And the Nationals' faith in him... 36-year-old Howie Kendrick with a grand slam in the 10th inning to put the Nats up by four. Unbelievable!